And I know something that I think that Mariah and I are really good at is reminding each other that when you put in work into something, into your business, you're not an asshole when you're just asking to get credit where credit is due. everyone and welcome to the Imperfect Company podcast. I'm Mariah and I'm Arlena. And before we get into today's episode topic, we just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about what's happening this week and uh, be a little bit honest about what went wrong last week that uh, we're a little embarrassed about, but you know, we're all human. So we're going to chat a little bit about it. Arlena, you want to tell the listeners what happened? I sure can because it was all my fault. Well, it's not, it's like, that's the beauty of having two people is like, I should have caught it, but I didn't even realize it was Thursday until like, I don't even know, like three or 4 PM. And then I was like, wait, wait. When you decide to start a podcast, one of the things that you have to have is a website where you host your RSS feed. And so we have a site for that. And that is the website that we use to publish our episodes. So we're able to connect all of our different platforms to this feed. And that way we don't have to upload it, for example, to Apple and Spotify and Google. You know, we're able to use this platform to kind of push it out at a scheduled time. One of the things I really love about this is that you can schedule when you want your episode to go out. So I can make sure that I have everything done for that week's episode and Mariah and I can work together so that we also have things done on the website and our social posts ready, et cetera, et cetera. You guys know the drill because I'm sure you do the same thing for your business. But one of the kickers here is that when you schedule a podcast to go live, you still have to hit publish and it basically like saves it and it will publish on your scheduled time. Whereas when you upload a YouTube video, for example, you can change the settings to say schedule. And then, you know, instead of saying publish or make live, you know, it says schedule your video or whatever it says. And I guess this week I just had a brain fart and completely forgot. So I had saved our podcast as a draft, which I always do before I go in and publish so I can make sure and double check everything. Um, but I never hit publish. I just saved it as a draft. Mariah and I are recording this on Friday. So the day after our episode went out. So it was last night that Mariah texted me late in the evening. It was like after dinner. And she was like, Hey, um, I don't see this week's episode. And I was like, uh, let me check. So when I logged in to our platform, I noticed, uh, I had saved it as a draft. So you can see, it'll say like scheduled for, and it was scheduled for 6 30 AM central time yesterday morning but I had hit save as draft. So it was in the draft stage versus being published. So long story short, our episode went out late because I messed up and, you know, we always want to share our mistakes. And some of you may have noticed, some of you may have not. I know not everybody is listening to podcasts first thing in the morning, but we like to publish first thing in the morning because some of you go on morning walks, you have a morning commute to work, whatever it may be. And some of y'all are morning people like I am versus Mariah, somebody who's staying up super late to listen to a podcast. Anyway, I wanted to make sure to apologize for anybody who went to listen to last week's episode on Thursday and was like, Hey, uh, I don't see it. Uh, if that ever happens again, feel free to shoot us a DM because it's probably my fault. Um, Mariah and I have things split up pretty 50, 50 with the podcast. And one of the things that I do is all the editing and publishing of the episodes and things like that. So, um, it's totally my fault. We always want to share our mistakes and let y'all know about it because it's good to normalize that feeling 
feeling. Like instead of feeling like, oh crap, like people are going to be so disappointed. We really were kind of laughing about it via text. Like, oh, this is perfect. We'll talk about it when we record yeah. next week's episode's <laughs> intro. That's exactly what I was like. Oh, look at we're going to record intros tomorrow. So why not? We, why don't we just talk about it? Because it's like, I think that, you know, it's easy to feel guilty for that kind of thing, but like we are literally just starting out. So you have to give yourself like a lot of patience and grace when it comes to that kind of thing, when you're first starting something, because man, it can be really difficult and you have to get into kind of the habits that you're not used to. So that's the same thing with publishing the podcast. And really, I, I think both of us have just had like a crazy week. And it started with our mini so not publishing on Apple, which we're still trying to figure out, but all the technological issues are happening right now. And then we've each had personal issues that have just kind of pushed us and made us, you know, not realize right away. Like I am usually like on it, like on Wednesday night, I'm like, okay, I have to have the um, like promo clips so I can post it on social media. And I didn't think about it at all. And on Thursday, didn't realize it was Thursday. Didn't realize the episode is supposed to go out. I am subscribed to our podcast on like Apple and Spotify and Stitcher. So I do get notified when a new episode comes out, like push notifications. And I literally didn't realize until 5 or 6 p.m. that like I haven't gotten any notifications yet. I wonder what's wrong is... Did I just ignore them? Was my phone messed up? Like what happened? So I went in and looked and I was like, ooh, oops. <laughs> right. It's also like, I love that you mentioned like forming the habits because I think that's what it's all about. It's like forming the routine. Like Mariah and I have been getting into a routine and trying to figure out like what works best how we want to split things up, how we can be more efficient and what we're both good at and what we like to do. And, um, it's really a work in progress where we just really keep an open line of communication and it involves her making typos on social media and me forgetting to hit publish and only hitting save on (laughs) that, that episode last week. Yeah. And we promise that will not be the end of our mistakes. We are, we'll make a thousand mistakes in the whole process of this, but we promise to be open and honest about each one and put ourselves out there because I know that made me feel better when I uh, was just starting out in business to actually have like a realistic view of what was going on in other people's businesses. And this podcast is literally just another business venture for us. So it's a separate thing. We are dealing with having a partner for the first time and I mean, it's amazing and we have someone to like bounce ideas off of, but it still has its challenges and finding that balance is really important. I cannot emphasize enough how much we will not stop talking about the times that we screw up, even when y'all are tired of hearing about it. We just want to make sure, like Mariah said, to normalize it because it does feel good when you're starting out in business. And I know that one of the most frustrating things to me is like the entrepreneurship gurus online that are like, owning your own business is easy. Like, do you know how how easy it is to be your own boss. Like Ugh. when like, yes, you can absolutely love owning your own business. You can love being an entrepreneur and you can still struggle. It can still be isolating. That's one of the reasons why we started this podcast was because we know that it can be lonely. We know that it can feel lonely. And we also know how much better it feels when you're not comparing yourself to a false standard on social media. And you're comparing yourself to authentic business owners who are sharing the reality of what happens when you're in business. Because 
it is not all perfect, even when, whether you're in a partnership or you're by yourself, right? We both own our own businesses where we are the sole entrepreneur, right? We are the sole owner. It is just us behind the scenes at this point in time. I love it that way. And Mariah loves it that way. But it also means that when you're comparing yourself online to a business that has a team of employees, Uh, it can feel shitty and we don't want y'all to feel that way. We don't ever want anybody to look at us on social media or listen to this podcast and compare themselves because one of my favorite quotes is comparison is the thief of joy. And I just really love that quote because I think it sums up perfectly that if you're always comparing yourself, if you're always looking at other people, you're never going to feel like truly satisfied with your own work and what you're producing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyways, we have a little bit of a long episode for you today. So we're going to hop right into today's topic, which is all about copying versus inspiration. I feel like in both of our businesses and just while we were starting our businesses, we ran into the issue of copying and inspiration a lot, especially when it came to, first of all, learning something. Uh, Both of us taught ourselves or learned calligraphy, most of which from other people's YouTube videos and worksheets and things like that. And so where do we draw the line between copying or copying when you're initially learning something and the inspiration you gather to create something brand new? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Mariah. One of the things that I think is so hard when you're just starting out, which you summarize perfectly by saying that you know, you're learning from YouTube videos, you're learning from resources like we provide now to those in our communities that follow us on Instagram. And it can be hard when you're first learning to figure out your own style because you see something and you like it and you want to be able to recreate it. But what you have to remember is, especially when you want to be selling that final product that you're creating to clients or to customers in any way, shape, or form, it needs to be as original as possible. So you have to have that fine line when you're a beginner of, okay, let me take a step back and figure out, you know, is this my own? Did I find this quote somewhere? Did I find this design somewhere? I think that especially in the beginning, it's as simple as tagging somebody in a caption or in a picture or reaching out in a message on social media. Like, hey, I love your work. I loved this piece. I think about people who paint. I think about like watercolor artists. You know, there are only so many things that you can paint, but what makes each painting unique is an artist's style. So when you want to recreate that because you love it. So when you see a piece of art from an artist that you want to recreate, I think the most simple answer is first check their highlights in their Instagram because a lot of artists who have um, work frequently posted on other platforms have a highlight saved to their Instagram profile that shows stories that give explicit instructions on how they would like to be credited. And even if you're not reposting a picture of theirs, if you did something using their social media for inspiration, I think it's really important that you credit the original artist. And it's something that is so simple. And I know Um, I could probably speak for both of us, but there is a level of like gratitude that comes with when somebody tags me in an Instagram post and says, this lettering was inspired by at bossy brushstrokes. You know, I get so excited and giddy that somebody, you know, that they thought my work was something that they wanted to recreate, but that feeling turns into something completely different when you see somebody reselling something that you exactly created. I think that this can be 
even more obvious in the industry that you work in a lot more than I do. So I'd love to hear you kind of talk a little bit more about how you work with clients on their branding and you start to draw the line between wanting inspiration and being able to gauge their style, but needing to make sure that they understand that you're not recreating anything. Absolutely. When I go through my process with my branding clients, I know that inspiration is a huge part of my starting process before I do preliminary logo designs because I have to get a feel for their style, what kind of end result they want without actually taking those physical style icons that they shared with me. And I'm always very specific in all of my processes. When I first get a branding client, I do a series of emails and one of them is talking about how to fill out my preliminary form before I do their designs. And a big thing is telling them, how do you find like go on Pinterest or whatever and see what stands out to you and what kind of has the same feel that you want in your final logos. In that preliminary questionnaire, I ask for them to actually attach those examples, but I put a little blurb at the bottom that basically says, I need visual representation of your style, but I will not be using any of these beyond just getting an idea of your style and then creating something completely new. And I do have clients that come to me and say like, oh, I love this. I love this. And I have to clarify every time that I'm creating something new. That's what they hired me for. They want a unique brand. So I try to avoid just about anything that you know, is reminiscent of like semi-custom brands or like the templates that you can buy. Like there are some where they'll send me the templates and I'm like, mm, no, I don't. I try not to use that because it looks so much like a template. Right. And I think that uh, we see that a lot, especially on social media. You know, I think now is a good moment to remind those of you who are listening, who want to start a business, or maybe you have a few ideas and you haven't taken the plunge yet. It can be really easy to get stuck in this cycle of like, I want everything to be perfect. I want my website to be perfect. I want my logo to be perfect. I want my colors to be perfect. I want everything to be ready to go. So when I launch, it can be absolutely perfect. I think it's so important to remember that it isn't always easy to do a complete overhaul of your brand. Once you have thank you cards and packaging and things like that, it, it does get a bit more costly to completely start from scratch with a new brand but don't let it be the factor that holds you back. I say all of this to tell you um, if you do want to create a unique brand like Mariah is talking about, it's important that you hire a professional because using a Canva logo, and I'm going to pause here and say Mariah and I both love Canva. Okay. We cannot sing their praises enough for a hundred different projects, but custom designed logos on Canva are not one of those projects. Have you ever had kind of an issue where, you know, a client is wanting more of like the feminine, like trendy line art logos that I kind of think about when I think of Canva? Yeah. So one of the biggest examples is what I call watercolor swashes on the back. And uh, it's, I don't know, the actual term for it. But for some reason, so many of my clients include that as one of their examples, or they're like, maybe we could add like watercolor paint, like splash in the back. I always tell them I always start with, 
I can do whatever you want, but here are the reasons why I usually try to avoid it. First of all, watercolor artwork is not vectorized. So, I mean, sometimes it is, but most of the time it's an image, and so you can't blow it up really big. The other reason I, 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 I'm super honest with my branding clients, and I'm just like, I every time someone asks me that, I, my brain automatically goes back to those templates and the fact that I can see it when I'm designing that. I'm getting really close to something that's so literally like I've seen a million times before because the templates seem to all kind of look the same in the end. So I just tell them like, it's not what I would choose and here's why. But if they come back to me and they're like, I really want it, like that's how I imagine my brand, then I do move forward with it and, and keep what's over that watercolor swash as as unique and and personal as, as possible. Absolutely. So now that you've kind of touched on your branding clients specifically, I want to ask you something else that I personally know nothing about, which is um, the kind of stationary invitation suite world in um, specifically the wedding industry. Most of the time is who is asking for custom stationary, although it's not exclusive to the wedding industry. But I think we see that a lot where you see a picture on Instagram or you're scrolling through Pinterest and you're adding to your wedding board and you see invitations and you're like, that is what I want. That matches my vibe. I want that. I feel like with branding clients, it, you know, it's obvious. Like you mentioned, you are hired to create a unique brand for them. But when it comes to wedding invitations, sometimes I think that it's harder for somebody to understand that if they love the artwork they see on Pinterest, they need to find out who created that artwork and pay them to create their invitation. I guess, how do you kind of balance that specifically with the wedding industry? Just because I do think that is so different than kind of what you touched on with branding. With the wedding industry, the biggest way it's different from branding is that people who want branding work done or logos, they know that they want a unique product, a unique end result, because they obviously want their branding to stick out. But because weddings are just within your circle, just within your family, no one else is really going to see it. Couples don't usually care as much about having the exact same or very similar invitation suite as other couples. And so when it comes to them reaching out to me and asking, I love this this invitation suite, like I want it exactly like that. You know, it depends on the client because sometimes the client definitely wants that exact thing. And sometimes they just say they want that exact thing. But as soon as you come back and you say, hey, I can't create this exactly the same. I can use it as an example of your style and try to create something like it, but it's going to have to be completely unique. Sometimes I have to gauge as a designer when I need to send the client on their way and when I can help them. Because if it's something like, for example, like a watercolor portrait of you know a venue, I don't do that. I can get someone to do that, but at the same time, like, I can't take it. I can't, I'm not going to be able to find someone's art that I can use for it, not like florals or whatever, where I can buy the artwork. I have to kind of decide that as I go and 
most of the people that I've interacted with have been perfectly fine with, you know, me creating something unique. And that's obviously what I want to do. And I want to make something that, you know, connects with that couple and isn't like something that you see on Pinterest all the time, because those ones that pop up on Pinterest almost always are a very, very popular invitation suite that a lot of people have had. You know, it always depends, but I can usually tell based on an email what that client is looking for and if they're receptive to doing something different. Have you ever had to turn away a client because they didn't want to budge on that? Or have you had pretty good luck so far with um, them kind of listening to your wise words? (laughs) I have had one that I sent away because they wanted an exact one recreated. I never heard back from them after I did my like little spiel. And a lot of them get scared away too because when I go through like, okay, so you like this style, say it's like a very expensive print process or something like that. I go through kind of how much it would cost in addition to my custom design fee to get something that kind of looks like that. A lot of people get scared off with that too because they don't realize in the wedding industry how much like letterpress or foil costs and they want this exact suite and can't find it anywhere. That's a whole other issue. But overall, I've had pretty good luck. And I've either they they sign on with me for custom artwork or I never hear from them again. I get ghosted, which is fine too, because I understand that. <laughs> I'm going to backtrack on something you said a few minutes ago. And I, I wrote down a note because I wanted to make sure to bring it back up. But when you mentioned specifically watercolor florals that you can purchase online to use in your invitation suites, Can you kind of expand on what you're talking about and uh, why it's so important for businesses who are reselling final designs to be purchasing commercial licenses as opposed to personal licenses? And maybe you can even name drop a couple of the resources online that you like to buy designs from. And we can kind of link those in the description down below. Yeah. Like I said, I don't do watercolor artwork. I do watercolor lettering occasionally, but I am just not talented at watercolor artwork. Like there are some people out there who are extremely talented. I can do like line drawn things, but not watercolors. So if a client comes to me and wants watercolor florals or some sort of specific thing, I initially go to Creative Market. Creative Market's a huge one. They have really incredible artists. It's where I get almost all of my fonts nowadays for branding and other miscellaneous design. But Creative Market and then Etsy, those are the two places. Unless I need to do something kind of like if it's not like an invitation client where they're paying me a lot of money and I just need something simple, I I also have a like premium account with free pick, which has really great free graphics. But with the premium, you get like extra stuff and automatic commercial license to it, which is really nice. But when it comes to actually getting the commercial licenses, if I was doing something, you know, myself, like I wanted to do like a cute card for my mom or something, I can get the personal license on Creative Market. They always have all the options and they really do go over like you can click on a little link and it'll go over what the difference is between the license if you're not sure. But when I'm working with branding clients or stationary clients specifically, I always, always buy the commercial licenses because you have to, because I am selling 
this final product with their artwork on it. And so I have to have a commercial license in order to do that. And then I keep the flowers or whatever, the file. Once I have that commercial license, as long as I'm within their their limits, all the limits are different based on artists, how many products you can make with it um, or sell with it. As long as I'm within that, I could use it on other artwork, things I sell on Etsy. So it's really great. I get other use out of it. So it's not like I'm spending money and you know doing nothing with it besides that invitation suite. When we first started talking at the beginning, I went on a little bit of a mini social media tangent about crediting the artist. And I mm-hmm. kind of want to circle back to that just to yeah. give a little bit more detail. And I know something that I think that Mariah and I are really good at is reminding each other that when you put in work into something, into your business, you're not an asshole when you're just asking to get credit where credit is due. So I think it's good for us to have a little bit more of an intentional conversation for a few minutes about how to ask for credit on social media and why as an artist or any type of content creator, if you are putting original content for free on the internet in any way, shape or form, why you should not be scared to reach out. I think most of the time on Instagram, larger accounts do fairly decent for the most part that I see at tagging an artist at the beginning of the caption or in the middle of a picture or a video where it makes it really obvious that they're not the original owners of that content. But I've also seen a lot where there are larger accounts that are obviously just accounts reposting videos from smaller creators and not properly crediting the artist. And for some content creators who are just starting out on social media, it can be really frustrating. And sometimes you kind of get blinded by rage and you like don't even know where to start. Like, do I just send them a message? Do I comment aggressively? Should I send it in my group text with all my best friends that I need to have everybody comment and make sure that I get credit on this picture? So there's often better times to be able to go about that without having to feel like you're doing anything wrong because you're not, because it's your work and you deserve to be credited for it. So my point in my spiel is that I want us to talk a little bit about how to properly credit artists and how we can reach out to larger accounts as smaller creators and make sure that our work is being credited properly. Yeah. I think like you're saying, as smaller businesses, like when you're right at the beginning of your business or your your accounts or you know, when you first start creating in that way where you're sharing with the public, it's really easy to just let things slide when someone like takes something. So you're like, okay, well, at least someone has eyes on my work. Like that's super cool. But once you get into the it's like once my account was a little more popular and I started seeing it happen more often. Luckily, it's not super often that my work gets taken or anything, but I have had a couple accounts that are just like repost accounts or businesses especially that will repost my artwork. And the few times that I've had to reach out people have been really nice. I usually just go over what most artists ask for when it comes to crediting, which is actually being tagged in the photo, being tagged in the first few lines of the caption. And anytime you share the work from your account, use the little airplane thing on Instagram so then it goes directly back to you. Especially, I feel like there's a lot of accounts nowadays that because people have been stealing their work so much, they've been adding watermarks a lot. I don't add watermarks to my artwork because I just like, I feel like it takes away, but I totally understand why people do and why they have to. And it sucks that they have to because most likely they're adding watermarks because their work's been taken a ton of times. And it's at that point, it's hard to reach out to everyone. You almost just want to like throw up your hat and give it, give into it. But 
it's really important because who knows that one account they might be bringing in all this business and if it's not directly linked to you if there's no credit whatsoever you could be losing out on tons of money like it's a huge thing especially with small businesses like every dollar counts the possibility of getting that credit and getting clients from it is so important and so you need to make sure that you are doing everything you can and even if you don't get any any work from it just having that like people will come follow you maybe they'll be a client or a customer in the future like it's just really important in a small business to really advocate for yourself I could not agree more. I think we can use both of the two points we've talked about so far. On one hand, we have crediting artists on social media. And on the other hand, we have kind of the conundrum between copying and inspiration. I specifically think back to an Instagram story saga that you posted about, I guess, more than a couple of months ago now. But I'd love for you to kind of tell this story before I give it away and ruin it. I would love for you to kind of share with everybody a, an example of a creator that you love and look up to whose work was kind of blatantly ripped off of and it, it kind of became a whole thing. So as it should, but I'd love to for you to tell the audience a little bit more about that. Yeah, I see it every once in a while. Like we both really like Swell Press. Swell Press is what brought me into this, but a really, really amazing creator uh, named Taryn. She owns Twinkle and Toast. She's a calligrapher, a stationary designer. Her work is just beautiful. Every time I see it, I know that it's hers. It's super obvious. She's also such a sweetheart, super nice. And like you get to know these creators just through Instagram where you feel like personally connected to them. She had a piece of her custom calligraphy, which means she actually did it by hand, used it in her, in a save the date design. Someone took it and another actually well-known stationer took it and must have traced it on Illustrator or something else and started using it on her designs and selling it to her clients multiple times. We saw it multiple times on her Instagram. And normally if this happens, like sometimes it's an accident, I mean, most likely it's not an accident, but usually you're like kind of nice about it. And Taryn, especially, she was super nice about it. She was like, hey, I saw you use this. Like, please don't use it anymore. Like, that's not okay. At first, this other creator who I'm not going to name because no. <laughs> so this other stationer who has like 12,000 followers or something. So she has a very big following. She really does beautiful work, which is why this was such a bummer. At first she said, oh, of course, not going to use it anymore. Don't worry about it. I'm so sorry. And then we had seen it in like a, like a stationary group that's like all over the world. Bunch of stationers have a Facebook group. She had posted about it and like, you know, said what she did. And, you know, there was people that wanted to back her up, but she was like, no, just leave it. Like she's going to stop using it. Then Fast forward to two months later, the account posted another, a separate invitation suite that utilized that same calligraphy that was done by Taryn. Like Taryn e or messaged them again and said, hey, what's going on? Like you weren't going to do it or something similar. And the other creator 
decided that because Taryn didn't have it copyrighted, she can use it. It's nothing like it's okay for her to use it. And she was starting to get really mad because people were posting on their stories. Oh, this girl who's it's not cool. Like you're just being a dick. She was like saying that she's going to sue everyone for defamation. There's a way to go about it. This was not the way to go about it. And obviously she got called out by some really huge accounts. I called her out and uh, I am blocked. But the whole thing was just really horrible and really brought to light how you need to protect your work and how people will probably steal it if it's beautiful. And that's a real bummer, but you can protect yourself and you don't have to, like the biggest thing is you don't have to have it physically like trademarked or um, officially copyrighted for you to own your own work. I will preface my statement with, I am not a lawyer. I do not claim to be a lawyer for sure. Even if I was a lawyer in a previous life, it would not have been an intellectual property lawyer because it is so beyond my understanding. But some of you may know by now that in my full-time job, I teach entrepreneurship at a university. And part of that obviously is kind of giving everybody a little bit of an intro, dip our toes in uh, intellectual property. I think it's important for me to spit some education because um, copyright law, uh, intellectual property law, you know, protects original works of authorship, which includes literary, dramatic, musical, and artistic works. This could be poetry, novels, songs, computer software, architecture, right? So you can't copyright like facts or ideas or um, systems, but it's important for me to emphasize that your work is under copyright protection the moment it is created and fixed in a tangible form that is perceptible either directly or with the aid of a machine or device. So in general, registration is voluntary, but copyright exists from the moment the work created. If you wanted to bring uh, like a lawsuit for infringement, you would have to register. Uh, again, I'm not a lawyer, so, you know, Google it and get hooked up with a local lawyer. But I just want to remind people that if somebody says like, well, your work's not copyrighted. Okay. Well, suck it. It was copyrighted the moment I created it. And if you're a large enough business, if your work brings you in enough money, your design, you know, there are cases where I've seen artists bring lawsuits forth and they have copyrighted these designs. And I think that's something that a lot of smaller creators, you know, dream about being able to do that. And it's unfortunate that we can't, but, but there's other ways to go about it. But don't let anybody on social media or in real life be like, well, your work's not copyrighted. Okay, well, yeah, it's not registered, but, you know, it's still your original work. Even if you're not going to sue someone for copyright or actually register your copyright, you still have the right to call out that person and ask them and talk to them. And yeah, if they start like really acting like a dick and not wanting to do anything with it, then I, I mean, I give you full permission to call them out publicly because they got their chance, give them their private chance to amend that situation. And if they don't, just last them for totally being an asshole because it's really like a total dick move to copy someone's work and do it so knowingly that that person reaches out to you and you're not willing to, to make it right. Like, you know what you're doing and you deserve to get called out. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about subconscious copying on that note? Because I think sometimes when you reach out privately to somebody, they might be like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like I saw your design. I couldn't remember where I saw it from, or, you know, I saved it to this Pinterest board and I didn't realize it was yours or, you know, whatever their reason might be. They really had no malicious intent. They, they didn't know any better. They, they didn't know who you were. Oftentimes those creators are extremely apologetic. They're like, do you want me to delete the post? Can, how, how can I credit you? Like, how can I make this better? Right. Because most of the time, uh, original content creators understand how important that is and they want to protect that. But I think that subconscious copying is like this whole other beast that you and I are just as guilty of as anybody else. And in fact, if you are a content creator, if you've ever followed a viral trend, you know, you have partaken in subconscious copying on some level. There is, again, a fine line between what is copying and what is inspiration. So so do you want to talk a little bit about what your official definition is of subconscious copying? It happens so often with artists because in order to to keep your creative brain going to you know keep your style up to date and modern and in with the trends like you have to do a little bit of research you have to be searching for what other people are doing and sometimes you don't realize that when you go to design something someone has already done that you've seen that before and you're not doing it maliciously, obviously. In general, I try to avoid it by when I'm doing like official client work. I used to browse Pinterest right before and look up certain, like, you know, try to see what other people are doing, try to look at, you know, other examples in the same style so that I can get an idea. Now I don't do that because I am so paranoid about accidentally copying someone or, you know, especially with branding design, I think because it's their logo, I feel a lot more pressure to do something really unique. And there's only so many ways you can organize a business name that's unique. But when I see someone else's, like say there's like a specific orientation and there's like a little flower somewhere that might come back and I might accidentally do that. And uh, that's why I just like, I can't look at Pinterest anymore. And I even do that to myself sometimes. Like now that I've gotten a bunch of branding clients, sometimes I'll do something and then look back at it later and be like, that looks exactly like that other logo design that I've already done. And I'm like, what the heck? It's one of those things that you kind of have to get over as an artist and just be like, if you do it, it's not that big of a deal. If someone calls you out on it, just you know, be super open and honest and do the right thing, which is if they want you to take down your post or stop using it, do it. If they want you to credit them, do it and everything should be all right. This is kind of unrelated, but also kind of related. So I'll bring it up anyway, which I'm sure you guys will hear me do often because we tend to get on tangents. I had a message a couple months ago from a really great young woman who had bought my lettering guide a while back and was using it to practice, but felt like she did so well when she was tracing. And then when she went to do it by herself, oh, I think the adjective she used was that her hand goes derp. <laughs> I, you know, I explained to her that, you know, it's not your hand going derp, but it's actually like your own style. That's like trying really hard to come through, but like your muscles don't know how to do it yet. You know, when you buy a lettering guide or 
um, you're watching YouTube videos and you're implementing artists that you like. And again, like I'm speaking specifically about lettering because that's what I do for the majority of uh, my business. But this can be true of all artists and again, content creators in general, I believe it's really important to like go through like the suck phase, right? To kind of embrace that. And I always remind people to keep their work with digital lettering. It's easy because you can kind of like keep files on standby if you have the memory space for it. I have like a special place on my bookshelf for like a accordion file folder I bought on Amazon that I keep old work in. Um, that's just kind of me messing around. I don't keep everything now, but I am so happy that I did in the beginning because I remember designs that I made, you know, to post on Instagram in the beginning that I was so proud of. And it's so amazing to be able to look back now and be like, yikes. I was proud of that. But it's really such like a beautiful moment to be able to watch as your style progresses. And I think I've seen that especially with us. I mean, you know, we met at the beginning of both of our businesses and I've seen our lettering styles somehow stay the same, but also kind of grow over time and really become their own separate styles. I think if any of you listening follow either of us on Instagram, you can probably pretty instantly recognize our lettering style. And that's something that comes with time. So if you're new to lettering, again, anything art related, don't beat yourself up about feeling like you don't really have a style that you don't know what your style is yet, because I promise that it happens even when you don't know it's happening. It just happens naturally. And it's something that, again, if you try too hard to do it, I find myself like overthinking and like, I don't know what to do with this letter. And you know, there's certain letters I hate, like Capital G is the first one that comes to mind. And I'll scroll through Pinterest and be like, capital G lettering or modern calligraphy. And I'll scroll through ideas and I'll be like, I hate all of these just as much as I hate my own. And so it's like taking the time to stop putting that pressure on yourself and just slowly like integrating. I know a saying that we both love is progress over perfection. And so reminding yourselves of that, you know, when you're copying artists that you love, credit them properly. Don't sell the artwork that you're copying. Don't sell the lettering that you're copying, but you can use it to practice. And most artists are going to be flattered when you do so and credit them properly. But make sure that in all of that time that you're taking to learn your craft, that you're also taking time to develop your own style. And again, it'll happen naturally. I can almost promise you. Okay. I have a question for you because I don't sell any lettering guides or anything like that at this point, maybe eventually, but um, I don't right now, but you sell your lettering guides to what your current style is basically. So the lettering guides that you have and people are learning from, where do you find, where do you see the line of their practicing and posting their practices to their copying my exact style? And that's not okay. Like, where is that line for you? Yeah, that's a tough one because I think it's so, it has such a wide variation. I know I'm a little bit more lax than most. And I think that's just because right now I don't have like the mental capacity or energy to be upset for too long on social media. But my line is profit at this point, at least. Like as we are recording this podcast, when I think of what makes me upset with copying, it's profit. So if somebody was using specific words or you know the exact letters out of my lettering guide, kind of going through and you know, like tracing each letter and like putting that together to somehow make a design, I would be really upset if they were profiting from it. Uh, and that would be a point where I would need to, you know, send them a message and, and kind of inquire to, to figure out some more details. Knock on wood, I, I haven't really had that happen yet. And I think that's because most of the time the people that purchase things like that are the ones that are already in that 
you know, in the art community and understand the kind of design principles and respect that goes into it. But yeah, for me personally, I think the line is profit. If somebody had taken something out of a lettering guide I sold, I see it no differently than somebody taking a design that I posted on Instagram a year ago and turning it into something. It's no different than what we talked about earlier in the episode when you buy something, whether that's lettering or a font or watercolor florals for a wedding invitation, if you're using those elements to profit off of the final product, you need to be purchasing commercial license and that includes lettering artists. So I know personally when I'm commissioned for designs, one of the first questions I have is, you know, what are you looking to use this design for? One of the examples that comes to my mind is when I have clients commission custom cookie designs. So instead of using a font, they want unique lettering to be able to put on a cookie. If they are just selling the cookie itself to a customer with the lettering on it, I have a set price for that. However, I've had clients who have come to me and they want a custom design not just for a cookie, but because they are selling cookie cutters. Well, now we're in a different ballgame because these businesses are taking my final design, creating an end product that they are then going to sell multiple times over for profit and providing my final design for clients to put on the cookie. So there is a different price tier that comes with that because you're profiting off of that design. And I want to make sure that we're both compensated fairly for our work. And I like to think that my pricing is pretty fair on that. It's just something that you have to think about that Mariah said it multiple times in this episode. Just don't be a dick, right? Like if you plan on selling something on Etsy, if you want to sell a t-shirt, buy the commercial design. Stop downloading free fonts that are not actually free for you to be selling them commercially. It's just something that comes with time, okay? It's something I didn't realize was a thing when I first started out, right? I was on defont.com downloading like all the fonts. I wanted all of them, but it's important to know the line. You can use fonts however you want in the majority of your life but not when you're reselling things to clients. So keep that in mind. One of the examples in my business that I think of with this is, you know, the pricing of commercial versus personal is my two sectors of my business. The wedding industry, the stationary design that I do, my design cost for it is much cheaper than my branding design because they're going to be using it once. They're I'm printing it out for them. They're not they don't have access to the physical designs and except for what I send them to get approved. So they can't like resell my artwork. They can't, you know, do anything else with it without my consent. For the most part, people will do it, but I put it in my contract that they're not allowed to reuse like pieces of it like for like if they aren't going through me for signage or programs or anything like that, like they can't use my calligraphy or my artwork without talking to me, like I'll sell it to them, but they can't do that. But with branding design, I build a commercial license basically into my branding design prices because the people who are using it, they're going to be using it tons of times. They're putting it on tons of products. Like they need to have complete use of that in order to to do what they need to do with their branding so it ends up being you know slightly more expensive than the design fee that i charge for my stationary clients i'll mention too like it is so hard and mariah and i already have episodes planned where we'll talk about this and i'm sure you'll hear about it in 
most episodes we do, but it is so hard to price yourself in a service type industry because there are so many factors to keep in mind. Again, I don't want to go on too big of a tangent, but I feel pretty confident in speaking for you when I say there are so many more hours that you put into your branding clients than you do your wedding invitations. I mean, it's a completely different design process and, you know, so much about it is different that I feel like you can't even really compare pricing because they are absolutely separate things. And that's it. That's what I wanted to say. (laughs) We probably haven't emphasized it enough this far in the episode, but Mariah and I, generally speaking, are big proponents that kindness takes you so much farther than any alternative possibly could. However, when provoked, sometimes you are left no options but to call in backup as a business on social media. So I think at this point, we have talked about so many different things all surrounding copying and inspiration, but why don't we close out the episode by giving a small recap of some of the most important takeaways that we think and kind of rounding it all off with giving our best practices for gathering inspiration without actually copying. Yeah. So let's go back to what exactly, what the line is between copying and inspiration. When it comes to copying, copying is fine if you are learning a craft, if you are crediting them where credit is due, whoever you're copying. But once you start copying something without the proper credit, if you're doing it for profit, if you are trying to portray that you created it even though you didn't, that's where the line is drawn and you have to be careful of that. Obviously, it's a fine line. With inspiration, It's I think the easiest way to explain it is if you are seeing a design that you like and you are you want to do something that's similar if you are taking multiple elements from that design and using it and then taking the credit for it that's what's not okay instead what the best thing to do is if you are struggling or you need more inspiration take little pieces from different designs and make it your own in a way that is completely new and exciting and that's like the best part about making art is doing something that is new and that you can take the credit for because you used your creative mind to create it yeah and i think that when all else fails you consult the google I read something on Google about this that I think sums up everything so perfectly, which is inspiration becomes copying when you find yourself constantly going back to the original to see if yours looks the same. If you can leave it and go away and do your own thing with your design, then it's inspiration. But if you find yourself flipping back and forth or tracing and procreate, it is copying. And when it comes to you trying to find inspiration without copying, we like to reference Pinterest because Pinterest is like the social media search. It's more of a search engine than anything else. And you can find really amazing things on there. So it can be great for expanding your mind, you know, seeing really beautiful creative work, um, researching what's on trend and figuring out a style based on photos. Pinterest can also be the worst. And I personally choose to avoid it as much as I can unless it's something for personal use, just because there are so many ideas. And once you've 
searched on Pinterest so much, it's really easy to start subconsciously copying from it and not even realizing it because you've looked at a million things and your brain doesn't remember that specific design, but your subconscious brain definitely remembers it because you saw it and you liked it. A really great way to combat this, especially for those of you who might be painters or content creators where you're curating content to repost, is to purchase a subscription to a stock photo site. Personally, I subscribe to two separate small businesses that have curated stock photos. Oftentimes, they have themes. So the ones I personally subscribe to are more you know, like female entrepreneur based. So it has to do a lot with like styled office photos and flat lays and mock-ups and you know holidays and things for different times of year. And a lot of times it might not be something that's relevant to my specific business, but it might be something I want to use. And when you have these memberships, then you can without guilt be able to use these photos that you pay for, okay, right? Depending on the specific uh, terms of use that that individual stock photo provider might have, you can make sure that you are guilt-free, right? If you want to paint florals and you don't have any pictures you've taken personally of those specific flowers, take a look at some of the paid stock photos or reach out to some of your you know, favorite photographers and see if you can paint that picture while crediting them in the caption. You know, just use your brains, people. Yeah. When in doubt, ask permission because a lot of artists would be totally fine with you know, you using it as sort of inspiration as long as you credit them. So if you are looking to copy something or just do something for Instagram, when in doubt, get their permission and always credit any artist that you use their work or even remotely use their work or are inspired by. And if you're somebody listening to this and you're like, oh shit, I think I am the perpetrator. I think that I have used somebody's work. That's okay. It is completely okay as long as you right your wrongs, right? When you're contacted, you add credit from this moment forward. You're like, look, I listened to Arlena and Mariah talk about this for like an hour. I know now what the difference is and I will credit those in the captions, on my pictures, in my blog post, wherever it is that you are posting things. Now you know. So don't have like an immense feeling of guilt if you are like, crap, I never realized that that's what I've been doing because I just found these pictures on Pinterest that I love and I never kind of took the time to find the original photographer. It's okay. I want you to sit back, take a deep breath, forgive yourself, show yourself grace. But from this moment forward, now you know, and you know how to go back and change captions. You can edit them on Instagram or on any social media and make sure that you're doing that. And that is really our point here. That's the point of today's episode is to be able just to bring awareness to it. Because when you're new to the industry, sometimes you don't realize how important this really is until you start to recognize the impact that these actions have and the domino effect that they have on other creators, on other artists, and in the industry as a whole, as far as respecting each other and being kind to those in your community. So we all learn. And unless you're somebody who's like, you're posting it on the internet for free, so that's your fault, then you suck and you're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you got some good tidbits out of this episode. We obviously had a great time talking about it. We see this all the time. If you have any questions, let us know. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Imperfect Company Podcast. If you liked today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. For more information on today's episode, show notes, and any other information, go to imperfectcompanypodcast.com slash episode six. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, follow us at Imperfect Company on Instagram and at Imperfect Company Podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to follow Arlena, you can find her at Bossy Brushstrokes on Instagram, and you can find me, Mariah, at MJ Creative Co. on Instagram. Our theme song is Clocks by Brasco. We will see you next week with a brand new episode. Mm-hmm.